as I began working on this message uh, about a week and a half ago, the, the main news story of the day, and it is just amazing to me that we just watched this story about England, because the main news story of the day had to do with Queen Elizabeth. I don't know how many of you saw this news story. I'm a little bit of a... Uh, a news nerd, you might say. I don't know. I tend to, to watch the news and, and, and am, am interested in it. And, and on this particular day was Queen Elizabeth's 63rd year and 216th day of her reign. Not of her life, right? Of her reign. She's been queen for 63 years, 216 days. And that day was significant because on that day she tied and she has since surpassed the great Queen Victoria as the longest reigning monarch in the history of the British Empire. That is stunning. And they go back a while, you know? Like their records, when they talk about this, like you look it up, Wikipedia, go look it up. They've got like, you know, from 900 and such and such to the year 1000 and such and such was this king, you know? And she is now the longest reigning monarch in the history of their empire and it means something to be the monarch of the british empire of course it meant a good deal more in victoria's day at the close of the 1800s than it does today back then the sun never set on the british empire and to stand in the presence of the monarch was an awesome Experience. She was sovereign over an empire that ruled over the course of the globe. She was the empress of India. Um, there was protocol to be observed and honor to be given uh, when you approached and came into the queen's presence. I, I read about a certain ceremony. I guess some of the, um, the ladies, when they would kind of come of age, there would be a, a ceremony where they'd be presented to the queen. And, and the, the, the way they had to walk through this was just incredible months in advance a formal invitation would go out from the palace to their home they'd receive it they'd have to reply back to the queen that they would be in attendance and of course then all the things that they would have to wear and and getting ready and actually getting to the palace and so these young ladies would would wait in this room away uh, from the queen she was in the throne room and then one by one their name would be read on a card by uh, one of the palace attendants and they they would then walk into the the queen's throne room and they would curtsy and their name would be read and then they'd approach the queen and they would curtsy again i don't know how to do that i'm just kind of doing like this so but they would you know they would know how to do that so they would curtsy and then uh then they would approach the queen and she would extend her hand and they were to put their hand under hers and gently kiss her hand and and then back up and if she wished to speak they could speak back to her I would love to just be a fly on the wall of, of what it looked like to observe people honoring this monarch. There was a particular time when two young ladies were invited to this who participated uh, from Chicago. Uh, and they went all the way to England for their coming out. And, and as the queen extended her hand, uh, one of the young ladies from Chicago took it and shook it vigorously. Um, <laughs> Apparently not knowing the protocol, what you're supposed to do with the queen, uh, that you're not supposed to just grab her hand and shake it, that this is the sovereign and the monarch. And I don't know if she didn't get the memo or if in a bit of American uh, pride and arrogance didn't feel as though she needed to honor the queen of England in that particular way. Uh, but in any event, uh, this is what it looked like to, to stand before 
just a mere mortal, just, just a lady on a throne, and it should give us but the faintest glimpse of what it means to have a king, of what it means to honor a king and a lord and king's way. You have a king. You have a sovereign, a lord, and he is far more awesome than some monarch of some relatively insignificant empire that time sweeps away. Time will not sweep away his empire. And we would do well to revere him and honor him and fear him and to learn a little better than those girls from Chicago of what it looks like to do business with the Lord who is to be feared. So let us consider before God this morning. What does it look like to fear the Lord? To walk and live before Him and in the fear of Him. Let us allow Him to ask us to probe our hearts. and To have that question on our heart as we read the passage this morning. We'll be reading from Mark chapter 12 beginning in verse 35 down through the end of the chapter and the call of this passage upon our lives and on this church is that we fear the Lord. Let's read God's word together. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? The great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, we approach you in humility and ask that you would govern us and guide us Instruct us and encourage us through your word. And gently teach us to fear you. That we need fear nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the call, the main point of this morning's passage is that we fear the Lord. I want to just kind of walk through the passage kind of with three points in mind. There are three distinct sections of the text and we will look at them together one at a time the first section verses 35 through 
37, Christ establishes his identity as Lord. So I want to read those verses again together. Let's kind of dig in on verses 35 through 37. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Great throng heard him gladly. So recall that Jesus had just been uh, grilled by the governing authorities throughout this uh, chapter in in Mark chapter 12. I'm I'm sure if you were here last week, you recall that, that throughout the chapter, there's been these various people that have been coming up and asking him questions. He's been asked about the greatest commandment, questioned about the resurrection, probed about paying taxes to Caesar. And having taken on all comers and answered all these questions, his opponents are now done trying to trick him. In fact, they kind of back up. And it says at the end of verse 34 that no one dared to ask him another question. Now, I don't know if you saw the debate last week, but nobody won it quite that well. You know, no one dared. That's a winning debate of performance right there when no one dares to ask another question. But instead of leaving the stage after the debate was over, he stands right at center stage. And now he turns on his questioners and he asks them a question. Now that the stage belongs to him. The great and important question. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. Jesus is saying, the scribes say this. The the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. In fact, the scribes did teach that. They taught that because, well, that's what the Old Testament taught, that the Messiah or the Christ would come from the line and lineage of David, therefore be his offspring or his son. This was a very biblical concept consistent with Old Testament. Testament teaching. In fact, if you were to go back and read your Old Testament, you'd see why they thought this, that the Messiah was going to be the son of David. Second Samuel chapter seven uh, talks about it in specific in verses 12 and 13. God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God made it clear throughout the Old Testament that the Messiah, the Christ, would in fact come from David. But if that's so, Jesus then asks them, how is the David who would then be the father of the Messiah and therefore in a way greater than him, how is he that he calls his son Lord? He quotes From Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1. This is a psalm written by David. It's about the Messiah. And David begins that psalm by saying, The Lord, that is Yahweh, says to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. Yahweh invites the Messiah to sit at my right hand. But when when David talks about the Messiah, he calls him my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Right hand. Why did David call the Messiah, who is his son, his Lord? 
or to use the words of verse 37, as Jesus asked, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? How indeed? I doubt there are many parents in this room accustomed to calling their children Lord. O great king, child. Now, as children, we might well have really appreciated that kind of rightful honor from our parents, right? You know, but... But this, is, this doesn't make any sense. It defies a certain logic of lineage. Right? It is right for children to say ma'am and sir to their parents and not the other way around. Yet here is David, the mighty king of Israel, calling his own son Lord. See, Jesus is now tackling his opponent's unbelief right at the root Right at, at the deepest place, the thing that's keeping them in their unbelief. He's addressing the main issue head on, and that main issue is his identity. Who is this one standing before him? Who is this one that they stand here and question? He's saying this, yes, I'm the Messiah. In a way, as you would expect, I am the son of David. But I am also the Son of God. And I am the Lord. David himself, the greatest king your country's ever known, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, called me Lord. What are you calling me? The rulers and the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees, they had had it all wrong. They had come to question Jesus. They ought to have come to worship Jesus. That's what they should have been doing. He is their king. He is their Lord. He is their sovereign. He is the Son of God Himself, the great I Am. Before them stands the Lord of heaven and earth. And not only do they not fall down and worship Him as God, not only do they not honor Him and give Him allegiance or, or show Him the mere protocol you'd show to some human king, but they question Him and grill Him, try to trick Him and, and trap Him in His own words. They were playing the part of the foolish girls from Chicago as the Lord stood before them and extended His hand and they slapped it away, refusing to acknowledge Him for who he is. American citizens may get away with that when addressing a sovereign who is not their own, but rebellious citizens of this planet before their king do not. It means something to stand in the presence of the sovereign monarch and lord. The people of the day missed it. We dare not miss it. We've said that this passage is challenging us about fearing the Lord. We've looked at the first three verses. Let's look at the next few together, verse 38 through 40, which again, I'll, I'll read again so it's fresh in our minds. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. The scribes were the ones who were sort of the religious elite. 
The ones who are thought of as, as good and righteous and morally upstanding. But what Jesus reveals is that their righteousness is but hypocrisy. They knew something of the fear of the Lord. And that what they wanted was to look like they feared the Lord. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to look like they feared the Lord in other people's eyes. They should have been devout in their worship of God, but instead they were pretending praise, feigning faithfulness. They like to walk around in long robes, the uniform of the faithful, the garment of the godly. They walked around and everybody could know how good and great they are. They liked the greetings in the marketplaces, the the rabbi this, the great rabbi, there goes a holy man. They liked the best seats in the synagogue, reserved for the, the holy and righteous and right honorable doctor, pastor, priest, deacon, bishop, scribe who got to sit there. They like the places of honor at the feasts, lending their religious celebrity to the common people who could be excited that the godly man is there. And it says they devour widows' houses. They were, there was a, the norm back then is that there would be a sort of endowment set up for the scribes that would be funded so that they could pursue righteousness and serve people. And so many a widow would, would offer up all kinds of money for these guys to be on these endowments so that they could use it to pursue their own hypocrisy. And it says, for a pretense, make long prayers. I want to think about that for a minute. For a pretense. They, they are praying. And they're not thinking at all about the one who listens. But about the people who are listening. For a pretense. Imagine walking into the throne room of the great king. Or imagine just walking into Victoria's throne room. And, and there she sits and, and you walk up audaciously and pretending to speak to her, your message is really for everybody else who's listening. You could give a rip that the sovereign is right in front of you. Oh, so concerned for what other people think. Don't, don't I look good with the backdrop of the king or queen behind me? That's what it is for the pretense to make long prayers. I look good with God right behind me, don't I? The scribes were fearing in the presence of God, but they were looking the wrong way. They were fearing the people and ignoring the sovereign Lord. Fearing the crowd instead of Him, the opinions of man, the fear of man. One cannot fear man and fear God at the same time. And they had forgotten the fear of the Lord. Dear saints, let us in all genuineness fear Jesus. Let us, let us fear Him, the one before whom we stand. For He is King and He is Lord and He is sovereign over us. Let us fear Him and fear no man. 
and not work for the praise of another person and not work fearing the rebuke of another person, but work for the audience of one who is ever watching. Jesus said, beware of the scribes. How easy it is to find the scribe welling up within and beginning to look over our shoulders during prayer. Concerned what people think while we worship. Jesus says, beware. Kingsway, the, the fear of the Lord is precious. It is a precious thing. The fear of the Lord will drive out other fears. It will dim other voices. It will give constancy in the, in the face of a storm. We're fearing the one who holds the storm. We're fearing the one who's in control of everything. And if, if Him we fear, we need fear. Nothing else. Let us stand before Him and tremble that we would tremble before nothing else. It is, it is an ironic thing that the fear of the Lord delivers from fear. It is one of God's sweetest gifts to His saints that we be rightly aligned with the one who is our Lord. Fear of the Lord is to be pursued and cultivated and desired and sought for it is precious. It will ground you in your trials. It will comfort you in your loss. It will guide in confusion. It will protect from temptation. It will protect from temptation. If you are fearing God, you have a a buffer against temptation because you know before whom you stand. Do you fear Him, saints? When I think of this, I think of having a, a soft conscience and flexible knees. You know, where we're just... We're just quick to get on the ground because he's God and I'm not. And we're quick to acknowledge sin as sin and to repent. The fear of the Lord looks like praying in private and repenting in public. It's the opposite of these guys. Pray in private. We draw near to the Lord in the secret place. And we do our repenting out loud. Fear of the Lord is trembling at the idea of displeasing Him or grieving His Spirit. I may displease everyone else, but I cannot displease you. I dare not displease you, the one who gave Himself for me, the one who is my Lord and God. Let us learn to fear Him. The final section of our passage this morning as we consider the fear of the Lord. Verses 41 through the end of the chapter. Can we read those again together so that they are fresh as we consider them? And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. 
And a poor woman came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This little section reads like a parable, doesn't it? It's as if Jesus had said, there was once a widow giving her offering, you know, but, but it's not a parable. This happened. Jesus was there observing this happened. He was, um, he was people watching. Do you ever people watch, you know, just kind of sit down and observe how strange people can be. You know, maybe it's the mall or whatever. You're just sitting there and people just being people, you know, I was, I was driving, uh, the other day and I was, had a right turn to make and it was rush hour and I was at a stoplight. There was no way I was going to get out into this flowing traffic until my light turned green. And so unusually, instead of just watching the cars go by, maybe 20 miles an hour, I began just to focus on the drivers as they came by. And it was just funny, you know? Here's this one person, they're just on their cell phone in their own little world. Here's this next person, he's just singing. Next guy's checking his hair in the mirror. You know, they're all kind of squinting funny because they're driving right into the sunlight. Nobody did anything super embarrassing, right? I mean, you're kind of always hoping for that, I guess, when you're people watching. But nobody did anything super embarrassing. But, you know, you just, all different kinds of people just driving by in their own little world, oblivious. Well, Well, here is Jesus, and he sits down and watches the people as they give. But he sees beyond just the, the mere externals and the appearances and, and he pierces deep into seeing what this widow is actually doing. He sees the, the rich people putting in great sums of money, no doubt sums of money that will help rebuild the temple and do all kinds of great things. But then he sees this widow and as he sees her, he draws the attention of the disciples. What was this like? Guys, come here. Remember, it's not a parable. They weren't hearing him say this. They were watching this happen. Right? Look. Look at this woman. Do you see? Do you see what she's doing? And they're observing these two very insignificant coins. Uh, yeah, you know, we see that. <laughs> Jesus was amazed at what she gave. And he says... To them, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing. That is, that is a stunning thing to say. Because really it's not true. She didn't give more than everybody else gave. Not if you're counting the size of the gift. Right? I mean, look at the... This other guy had like a bag full of gold he just dumped in. And she drops in two little insignificant copper coins. And Jesus said... That she gave more. How is that even true? What's he talking about? See, Jesus, when he said that she gave more, he was not counting what she gave. He was counting what she kept. He was counting what she withheld. The size of the gift in the master's eyes was how much are you holding back from giving? I think it's very significant Here's this widow. Now, there was no social security, right? 
I mean, we might worry about social security, but she did not have social security. She's a widow. She has no form of income. She has two coins. One could be for the next meal and one for the offering. And she takes them both and offers her all to her God. Quietly, thinking no one's observing. Oh, but someone's observing. And someone sees this gift and declares it greater than all the other gifts given that day in the temple because she gave all that she had. And Jesus made it very clear. She gave out of her poverty. She has put in everything she had, comma, all she had to live on. In case we missed it the first time, he'll say it twice in two different ways. She gave everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's people watch with Jesus. Let's come look over his shoulders. I'm kind of short, so I'm going to kind of have to you know, get up like this to see over top and see what's going on, right? So let's consider this. We're watching this woman who has enough food for her, enough money for her next meal, and she gives it all. And I'm thinking, that's foolish. I'm thinking, what are you doing? What, what, is that wisdom? You know, maybe I wouldn't say that's foolish, but I might say, is that is that wisdom? Are you, are you sure? Is it, is it wise to do that? This much is clear. If, if all that there is, is what we can see. If all that there is, is what we can count in our checkbooks, then she was foolish. But if there is a God, and if that God is asking for all that we are, and all that we have, then folly is not giving everything. Folly is holding anything back from that God. The God who, who asks for our all. See, this is what it means to have a Lord, Christian. It means we don't hold anything back. Now, that's, that's step one. That's day one of the Christian life. But guess what? That's day two and day 32 and day 2022 of the Christian life is giving it over to him. I wonder if there is someone here this morning who has never offered to God all that you are and all that you have. Let me tell you, that's what it means to become a Christian. A Christian is one who, who bows before Christ the Lord. And offers all that they have. Forsaking their sins. Turning from their own ways. Repenting of all else. Trusting only in Him. If you've never bowed your knee to Jesus. May I exhort you to do so today. There will be a day when every knee will bow. That day is a day of judgment. Today is a day of grace. He came to earth. And notice He didn't make anyone bow. He declared who He was. And today again, he declares who he is. He is the Lord. Will you turn and repent of your sins and swear allegiance to the king?
and be saved by his death on the cross for you. By taking the sin of rebels upon himself that we could know the king. Be like the widow and give him all that you have. And you will find him responding like he did to the widow. Smiling. He will look upon your small offering and smile and be pleased and you will know him as your Lord and your Savior and your greatest treasure. Saints, what of us? How easy is it for us over time to sort of maybe find that one corner, that one copper coin where he's not going to have lordship. Something that I'm going to withhold from giving to him. So what are you holding back today? Has he called you to a sacrifice? But it seems too costly. To generosity that seems too painful. Maybe just to endurance through a hard season as a church. What is he calling you to? What is your Lord calling you to do? Oh, church, let us follow him with the widow's devotion. Let us, let us follow him. Lord, all that I am and all that I have is yours. You take it. You spend it. You use it. I'm yours. I trust you. You're my Lord and God. Friends, Jesus is worth that kind of devotion. He's that, he's that treasure in the field. Yes. He's that treasure in the field. He's that pearl of great price that when we see him, we go and with joy sell everything else that we can have him. Oh, let me have him. Oh, let me have this great treasure, this Jesus. I'll sell everything else with joy. He is that. We do sell all with joy. He is worth our all, but he is also due our all. For he is the Lord. And he is our Lord. He has bought us with a price. And it is not, it is ours to follow. It is ours to obey. We owe him our allegiance. Let us fear him, dear church. The British Empire has come and gone. His empire will never end. The sun will never set on his empire nor will his empire even need the sun for he will be its light so friends as we as we come to him humbly what is he asking you to give how is he asking you to trust him again to fear him again I think I think the right posture of heart is to perhaps feel a bit like that widow. This is all I have. I wish I had more to give. 
I wish I had more to offer. All I've got is me. All I've got is what you've given me. Fear not. He did not despise the widow's offering. He will not despise yours. You will find the same Savior responding to you with joy as you follow Him and fear Him as your Lord. Let's pray. How does a man dare preach on the fear of the Lord? Only by the blood of Christ. Jesus, thank you that you are not just the Lord, but that you are our Savior. You welcome us back time and again and again. As you reveal areas for us to repent of. Lord, I ask that you would give grace for repentance and assurance of your forgiveness. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be work in our hearts giving direct and specific conviction, conviction that will lead us back to the cross. And Lord, may we as your people and may this dear church as King's Way Church fear their king and honor the king. You're worthy of it.